So as we prepare for communion this morning, uh, the sermon's a little bit earlier than usual, but uh, this morning I want to talk about hope. As uh, Devin pointed out, the word hope up there. Hope is that first word of the Christmas season that we kind of talk about. This evening at uh, 6 o'clock, I'm going to be taking my mom and my, my aunt to the uh, wonder, win, winter wonderland of lights, I guess it's called. I'm not sure what, the, at the Cinnaboyne Downs. Apparently there's a million lights there. And we're not going to count them all, but we're going to go see them all, I think. And So they're looking forward to that. My mom loves Christmas lights. I can take her every night on a drive and she would love it. And uh, just those, those anticipations of things that are Christmas, she loves. And just, just the hope of it coming. And, uh, and so tonight we're going to do that. And, and the whole idea of, of lights at Christmas really, you know, it's, it's, it's an amazing thing. We love the lights. We love to see them up. And it, it really goes back to the Old Testament. It goes back to what really uh, Christmas is all about. So back, we read this before from Isaiah chapter 9. And I, I want you to consider if you could kind of picture yourself before Christ came, before the idea of God's plan. Try and understand we as scattered people throughout the world, how we would view life, okay? And this is the promise made through Isaiah the prophet in Isaiah chapter 9. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. For a child is born to us, a son is given to us. Amazing thought. For those living in a deep spiritual darkness, a blindness, they don't understand what's going on in this world. They don't really understand what happens when they die, when they don't. It's, it's, it's ignorance. It's, it's darkness for them. It's scary for them. So they try to create something over the years, and they create all kinds of belief systems. But God says, I have a great light coming who will shine into this world. And this light is going to come through a son, a child, who will grow up to be the savior of the world. This is our hope. I saw this in the uh, outlet mall the other day, this large sign says hope in the middle of the mall. I thought that was quite fascinating that this is in a mall here in Winnipeg. People are looking for hope. They want hope. They want to know that there's more than what they see in front of them. Because what they see in front of them isn't always very satisfying. Isn't always very comforting. What is hope? Well, hope is, is not just that desire for something good in the future. It's not just wanting, you know, I hope that this afternoon, you know, it's a good afternoon. I hope we can, you know, enjoy the food we eat. Those are kind of things we're not quite sure. You know, I hope if I go through McDonald's drive-through, I'll feel okay after. You know, those kind of things. We we hope that happens. Biblical hope is different. It's not. I'm not quite sure kind of thing. It's it's more the the bottom one. It expects it to happen. And why do you expect it to happen? Because it's based on one thing. It's based on God's promises. God has made some promises. And the hope we put in his promises is based on the fact that he is faithful. He comes through. He comes through. And so that's the hope we're talking about here. Not a, I hope, I hope so, a wishful thinking. I'll look at Isaiah 42 just briefly here. Isaiah 42. This is God speaking to the world through Isaiah again. Isaiah is just the most incredible prophet. I love Isaiah, the book of Isaiah. 
We, we studied it last year as a Bible study group. So Isaiah 42 looks forward to this coming one. And here's how God describes this coming one. Here is my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen one, in whom I delight. Interesting. That God himself is excited about this one who's coming. This one who's coming, he delights in him. He loves him. This is, look at all the words my there. This is God. My servant. My chosen one. In whom I put my spirit. And he will bring justice to the nations. He will not cry out or shout out or cry out. Or raise his voice in the streets. And I love the mildness of this one who's coming. A bruised reed he will not break. I mean, have you ever gone to a marsh before and you see these reeds in the marsh? And so, you know, they're pretty strong, but you just know that some of them are, they probably have in the middle maybe a, like a little bit, bit of a bruise. And if a bird landed on them, they'd probably fall over. He's talking about that kind of thing. The people in the world who are, who are like bruised reeds, ready to, they really have nothing to stand on, no hope, no strength. As he comes, he will not break them. And a smoldering wick, we see the candle here. He will not snuff out. So we, you know, later on we'll have to blow out that candle before we leave. And it's going to have a bit of a little bit of a glowing ember on it at the end. Almost ready to go out. And the one who's coming will not come and, and the person who is in that place will not go, Psh, you're done. He will not do that. Because he's a caring, graceful, merciful God. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. And there's the word justice again. And he will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on the earth. What kind of justice? Now, this, we're talking about, this is like legal terms here. This is like lawyer talk here. Justice. We want justice. Something's gone wrong. You know, I, I, I've heard of uh, several people lately being hurt. I, I think of this one young lady hurt the other day in that liquor store. Punched for no reason. And so we all demand justice. This is wrong. You can't do this. Or a little child gets hurt by an adult. We want justice. What kind of justice is this, though? This is God's justice. You see, God has to do something about sin. He has to. Because He's a holy God. And so this one who is coming, this servant, will be will bring the justice that God requires. In his teaching, the islands, those scattered will put their hope. The islands. We think, think, of, the, think of the world before Christ. Think of the different people groups around the world. Again, no hope. And they're like scattered people. They're like islands. And he says, this one will come and his teachings will bring, their, bring, bring hope. Who recognizes this show? If you're somewhat over, I guess, 40, you might recognize this. Gilligan's Island, probably one of the finest sitcoms ever made in the history of TV. Do you remember this show? It was amazing. This castaway, five, five uh, I guess, five guests on this uh, three-hour tour ended being ended, or ended up being stranded on an island for years. 
Uh, the skipper and Gilligan were the, those who took care of them. Desert, deserted on an island. This is the picture of, of our world without Christ. Deserted on an island. Trying to get off. Trying to be rescued. Trying to find a hope again. Now let's look at, let's look at these characters because I think it's interesting. I think this is a great uh, theological uh, understanding of, of how things work right from this TV show. Look at the professor. I mean, he had brains. And he, he, he could explain things scientifically. He, he had always, you know, the solution to how to fix things. And, and so, but he could never get them rescued. He was a very smart guy. And they'd find a radio or something, and something would go wrong. Obviously, Gilligan would maybe muff it up. But, but, but the professor, with all his brains, with all his abilities, still could not get them rescued. So some people in our world rely on their knowledge and their ability to think and think, well, I can figure out life. I can use philosophies and all kinds of things and I can figure this out. But they don't get rescued. They're still on the island. Think of Marianne. What was Marianne all about? Sweet Marianne. Marianne, Marianne, Marianne. She was the do-gooder. She was the nice girl. She was the farm girl. She had all her, you know, her, her proper manners. She was sweet. But Marianne couldn't get off the island. She couldn't get rescued. And her sweetness didn't get her off the island. And a lot of people think, well, if I'm just a nice person in our world, it'll be okay. I'll make it. But that doesn't rescue you. How about the Howells? Thurston Howell III and his wife. I can't remember her name now, but uh, it doesn't matter. The Howells, lots of money, millionaires. I think in today's world, probably billionaires. Lots of money, lots of means. Surely, I mean, they would be able to get off the island somehow. Somehow their, their ability to buy their way off would, would work. But it doesn't. They can't get rescued with all their money. And so a lot of people in our world today think, well, if I can just be successful, if I can just accumulate a lot of things, I will find meaning in this life. I will, I will make my life work. But people come to the end of their life and it doesn't really satisfy. Again, it's not the money that's the problem. It's the heart that's the problem. How about Ginger? <laughs> the movie star. The movie star. Right? She had popularity. She had beauty. She had charisma. And she couldn't get off the island. Nothing she did could get her off the island. You know, I, I watch the news a lot, and I see famous actors and actresses. I see athletes. I see mu musicians. And you hear about how they, they, their life is just horrible. And they're trying to find some meaning in their, their careers, and they end up maybe hooked on drugs, maybe suicide. Not all of them, of course, not all of them. But they're trying to find meaning in some, some kind of life in their, the things that make them famous, popular. It doesn't rescue them. And then you have Gilligan and, and the and Skipper. I mean, these are just like the kind of guys that just, they'll try and take care of you. I mean, this, this was their shipwreck, by the way. And so they're going to try and make sure they, they take care of the, the, the rest of the guests. These are the hard workers. These are the ones who will do whatever they can to make things work. These are the ones who will who will do everything to, to make sure 
God loves them. Right? We have people who will do whatever they can to make sure God loves them by working hard. And it doesn't get them off the island. You see, God has given us this plan of He has to take care of that one thing that we know is wrong, and that's our sin. So no matter how good you are, I had a neighbor years ago, and I think I've mentioned this before, I had a neighbor who lived across the street. Um, every evening, his garage door would go up. He had this little, you know, lazy boy out in his garage. He would sit out there and smoke. I guess his wife said, no, nothing in the house. So I'd often go talk to him, and middle of winter time, where he's out there smoking, and I'm shoveling the driveway, and I'd go talk to him, and and uh, we'd have a lot of talks. He knew, he knew what I did. And he always came back, no matter what I said about, about grace and forgiveness, he'd always come back and say, you know what, Dave, I've been a decent guy. I think I have more good than bad in my life. I think God will accept me. He didn't understand. And he passed away not long after that, one winter. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't see him for a while. And all of a sudden, we heard he had passed away. God needs to deal with our sin. That's what Christmas is all about. In Matthew 121, as the angel comes to uh, Mary and Joseph, says this to them. You are to give him the name Jesus. Jesus, which is the Old Testament word Joshua, Yeshua, which means God saves, God rescues. Not we ourselves, but God is the rescuer. Because he will save his people from their sins. This was his purpose in life. He had one purpose in coming. He did miracles. He did all those other amazing things to show who he was. But his one purpose in coming was to die. And that's why when you walk into our church here, you'll see the, the manger there with the cross right above it. The two go hand in hand. It's the same Jesus who was born, who was born to die. But we also have a future hope. You see, the coming of Jesus, Christ was, Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many. And Hebrews 9 says, but he will appear a second time. Not to bear sin. Not to be born as a baby. But to bring salvation to those who are, willing, who are waiting for him. A second time. And so this word hope here behind me is not just that we, we are pretending like the baby's coming, because we know he was born. But it's the hope of a second coming. The reason we do communion this morning, he says, I want you to do this until I return, until I, I take it with you. And so as we prepare for communion, we're going to be looking forward to the return of our Lord, the promise he made. It's sad. And I, I'm, not, I'm not a Grinch. I'm not a wrecker of Christmases. But I want to just kind of make us, bring us into perspective here this morning a bit. I want you to think of Santa Claus. How do we compare Santa Claus to what God has done at Christmas? And again, I know people enjoy the fun of going to see Santa and all those things. But let's think of what Santa is really all about, okay? And we'll, we'll just have some fun with this. This song tells us about Santa Claus. Santa Claus is coming to town. Like Jesus came to little Bethlehem, right? You better watch out. You better not cry. You better not pout. I'm telling you why. 
Santa Claus is coming to town. Now, are you scared already? Are you scared at this point? Tanya, I can tell you're, you're a little frightened, I can tell. He's coming. He's coming to town. Okay, this is meant to be a bit of a fear factor for kids. Santa is coming to town. So you better watch out. You better not cry. And here's what, why maybe you should be a little bit fearful of Santa. Okay, it tells us. He's making a list. And he's not just making a list, and you're probably on it. He's going to check it twice. I mean, you're not going to get away with something. You might think you will. And he's going to find out who's naughty or nice. Santa Claus is coming to town. Like, this is meant to put fear into kids, right? And I'll, now it describes him a bit, almost in a godlike way, doesn't it? Look, listen to this. He knows when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. He knows if you've been bad or good. So be good for goodness sake, whatever that means. Right? I mean, they describe Santa as almost God. Omniscient. All-knowing. Omnipresent. Everywhere. And how does Santa work then? Again, I'm not trying to wreck people's Christmases. I'm sorry, but, but think about this. This is what the world, how the world may, may view God as they get older. The Santa, what does he do? If you're good or bad, what does he do? If you're good, he gives you presents. If you're bad, you get nothing. Now, Santa's not so faithful after all, is he? He's kind of a fake, because here's why. I know a lot of people in this world who are really good people and get nothing at Christmas. I know a lot of people, I don't necessarily know them personally, but I know there are people who don't really care about anybody, would consider it bad, and they get a lot. So Santa's not really very faithful. So you better watch out. You better not cry. Better not pout, I'm telling you why, because Santa is coming to town. Now that's a cute little song. We've all sung it growing up. But when you turn teenager and you are hit by the realization, but many kids are, that Santa is really not real. Maybe they, they come to that point where the parents bring the presents. What happens? Sorry, am I reckon anybody's... Uh, Sorry, Gary, I know this is a shock to you, but <laughs> no, he's not real. <laughs> yeah. How do they view God? If God is the same kind of being as this who sees you when you're sleeping, who knows when you're awake, who knows when you've been bad or good, so is God going to treat me the same as Santa? Do I need to be good so I get good gifts? And if I'm bad, will he hate me? Right? That's the, that's the problem with Santa. It's not the fun part where whatever they're... He's kind of a creepy guy, I think. But kids are... Every time I go to the mall, I see kids are crying. I'm not sure why you take the... But, but if you see God this way, that's horrible. That's not God. God's the one who comes to the scattered people around the world and says, I have... I'm going to show my grace and mercy. I'm sending my servant, the one who you put your trust in, and he will save you, and he will give you new life. And no matter how bad you've been, you can come to me for grace and mercy. My gifts are not based on your goodness, but on my son and on your faith. 
That's the problem with Santa. He wrecks the message for the world of what God is. And so, not again, enjoy Christmas, go to the malls, but let's make sure we teach our kids and grandkids what God is like compared to this. Because this is not God. He's not God. We're going to end with uh, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, and then we'll have our communion together. So I invite the group to come forward as we prepare for communion. If you have a faith in Jesus Christ, I invite you to join us this morning for communion. Please stand for this next song.